0: The new sponsor for the month of May for both the Shepherds Cook and the Fruitful and Fearless podcast is Reformation Coffee Company. Reformation Coffee is a small specialty coffee roaster in southwest Missouri that puts time and attention into high quality fresh roasted coffee all to the glory of God. They seek to glorify God and point to his glory through a company that provides coffee to the best of their ability. Their tagline is reform your coffee experience because they want you to know that your coffee can be better. They're also happy to provide a superior alternative to that of the God-hating coffee giants who don't care about you. Right now, they offer three origins of whole bean coffee, Guatemalan, Brazilian, and Ethiopian. They recently started offering five-pound bulk coffee beans for churches. Email them at reformationcoffee at gmail.com for more details. You can visit them at reformationcoffee.com, on Instagram at reformationcoffeecompany, and on Twitter at reformedcoffee. welcome to the shepherd's crook podcast the shepherd's crook exists to provide care counsel and resources for pastors you can get more information at the shepherd's my name is jared sparks and i'm a pastor I come alongside other pastors reminding them of the chief pastor welcome to the shepherd's crook podcast i'm excited to have back my good friend and fellow pastor at Christ Church Carbondale, Andy Claude. How's it going, man?
1: Doing great. How are you? Doing good.
0: You're looking good, man. What have you been doing today? you well, Your chef life?
1: Living the chef life today? Living the chef life. Mm-hmm. Uh, just uh, yeah, working at the cafeteria making food for kids.
0: Awesome. Very cool. Well, we're having a special conversation today and one that we have needed to have. And for our church, we want to equip some people from our church as they're thinking through these issues of, of specifically covenant theology. Trying to answer the question, who are the people of God, and therefore who receives the visible entrance sign to the church of baptism? And we're going to be talking through that, working through that today. And we are going to be talking about implications of covenant theology, but primarily talking about who are the people of God and what do the scriptures say when it comes to this thing called baptism? Is baptism for only those who uh, repent and believe? Or is it for those who repent and believe and their entire households, including the infant children? And so we're Baptists, and we wanted to lay out why we're Baptists. And we think we're going to have, well, I mean, I, we think these are compelling points, obviously. But we think it's going to be uh, really some good food for thought for you as well. And honestly, there's a lot of people recently over the last year and a half, and I think because... We are seeing a swing and, and back to understanding a household economy and the value of the household. But I've seen so many Baptists that have recently become Presbyterians. So, Jared Longshore, um, my friend Mason, years, like five years ago, uh, Zach recently from our church, um, mm-hmm. our friends Brian and Lexi, and, mm-hmm. and some people out in Ogden. Uh, who, anybody else?
1: I, th- I, I can't tell you, but we, we, got, we got Hank Falk. So, okay, <laughs> it came from yeah. Presbyterian Church. Yeah, it came Baptist, that's right. So he, I count that as a victory.
0: That's right. We, we got Hank Falk. So, Hank, shout out to you, brother. So, we're going to work through some of these issues. And I just jotted down six reasons why I'm Baptist. And we're going to work through these and bounce these back and forth. And Andy has got a lot of really helpful insight. And we're going to work through um, these reasons and then... Uh, along the way, we'll probably chase some, uh, some rabbits a little bit. And we just want to thank you so much for listening. If I've got Presbyterian brothers, I know I will, that are listening in on here. And if you've been with me for a while, I want to be as respectful as I can because many of the people that I have interviewed over the last few years and many of my dear friends, some of my close friends, are Presbyterian. I mentioned Mason's name. I mean, I love Mason. We love Zach. We love a lot of people that we're close with that are Presbyterians. So we want to be respectful, and we realize that this is a... Uh, we're not saying that this is, a, this is a, an issue of uh, salvation. My goodness, uh, we're, we have br- brothers and sisters in Christ across the aisle of Presbyterianism. But this is a significant uh, enough issue that is an, a sectarian issue where uh, Presbyterians gather with Presbyterians and Baptists gather with Baptists. And we can learn from one another and we can joke with one another. But it, it has been a divisive enough issue that we've had to have our own assemblies. We've had to have our own gatherings. And it's a frustrating thing. But uh, we're going to need the Lord's help. Yeah. Okay. So sure. I, I think, right? Absolutely.
1: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay. Um, like you were saying, we we absolutely love our Presbyterian brothers, and in a lot of ways, we're we're closer to them than we are to a lot of other Baptists. Yeah, and so very true. we um, we are glad to cooperate in in the mission of God together. But again, like you said, um, it is a certainly an ecclesi- ecclesiological issue that we. Um, that we just can't come to the same conclusion on.
0: Yes. And the, 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 the dis, uh, disagreement here is over ecclesiology, and we'll get to that here in just a minute, and other factors as well. But let's pray first, ask for the Lord's help. Uh, we've already prayed once, so this is going to be praying again as we record here. But uh, let's pray. Father, we just need your help and guidance always. Holy Spirit, lead us as we talk through these things. Help us to be respectful for those who will disagree with us. And for those who are on the line, God, we uh, we want to be faithful to your word. And that's what we're trying to do. And we realize that others are trying to do that as well. But God, help us to lay these points out well. And uh, Lord, certainly we know we're not covering all the things that could be covered here. And we know that we're not being exhaustive in, in this discussion. And there's certainly pushbacks that people would have. And All of that. So we want to acknowledge all that, but we just want to be faithful to you according to uh, the best best ability we have given by you. And so just lead us. I trust you will. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. So these are not necessarily in sequential order, but a couple of these do build on each other. And the first two points that we're going to be talking about here do just that. They build on one another. And so the first reason that I'm Baptist is because Jesus describes his family very clearly. Who belongs to Jesus' family? Now, when you're thinking about the New Testament and the Old Testament, and we talk about things like households, Presbyterians talk about households all the time. They're talking about the five household baptisms in the New Testament, talking about the importance of households. Baptists have recovered this. I certainly have uh, over the last few years, just fallen into, by the grace of God, the joy of, of Christian households and how families and societies have existed down through the centuries, really since Adam and Eve forward. And how God has designed the family to work. I mean, we love households. We're wanting to build households. We talk about that all the time. In fact, a qualification for being an elder in First Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1 is that a man must manage his household well. So we love households, right? Absolutely. We, we want to see the kingdom of God advance through households and through generations. And we want to see God faithfully work in the generations. And so we're expecting God to work in our children's lives, in our grandchildren's lives, in our great-grandchildren's lives, and on and on and on and on to the thousandth generation and beyond. However, we do see that there is some discontinuity with the Old Testament and the New Testament on how the household is described because of how Jesus describes the household. And for instance, when we look at Matthew chapter 12, we see Jesus talking about his family. And I'm going to throw this out there, Andy, and see what you have to think about this. There was a group of people that came and they were talking to Jesus about his family. They said, hey, your family's outside. And Jesus said, what are you talking about? This is my family. Let me just read it so you can get exactly what we're talking about here. While we were still speaking to the people, behold... While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and brother? Who, are, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of my father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Okay, so now we're going to mesh the first point and second point about the breakdown of the household argument here in just a minute. But when we think about the family of God... And the church of God. The church is called the family of God, the household of God. We have a head, which is Jesus, and we have the body, which is his bride, the church, the elect, what we're going to argue for. Here, the reason we believe that it's only that the household of God is reserved for Christians, those who have repented and believed, and this is just one example. So, Andy, what do you think? What are some implications? Uh, let's bounce this back and forth. I mean, obviously, I've got thoughts about it, but why is this important in the discussion that Jesus defines his family this way?
1: In the in the family of God, another um, instance we have of this is in John one, where we read, uh, He came to his own; his own people it did not receive him, but all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So there is in this reality that Jesus is speaking of and in um, in John 1 there is a new birth that is being spoken of it is not a physical lineage, it's not a blood and it's not the will of man so it can't be forced upon another person It it's not um, a, a person's own will but is the will of God it's a supernatural yeah. birth this new birth that Jesus alludes to in, um, in John 3 and so to, to be adopted into the family of God, to be counted as a child of God, there has to be this new birth. And so when we talk about who are the people of God, who are the ones who truly belong to this covenant, who are in Christ, who are the people that are counted in Christ, it seems from the scriptures that it would be those who are born again, those who yeah. have been regenerated. Um, and then the result of that is faith, them them receiving Him um, and he believing in His name, so
0: that would be doing the will of my Father. then yeah. So, like, so those who have been regenerated, repent and believe, exactly. which is doing the will of my Father. That's
1: that's that's the fruit, and that's yep. um, as we talk about uh, new birth. When you, when a baby is born, his um, he's spanked on the bottom, and his first uh, act is to cr- as a cry, is that 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 first uh, that first life's cry, and that would be for the Christian repentance and faith. That mm-hmm. uh, when a person's heart has been changed by God. They, they respond by repenting of their sins and placing their faith in Jesus.
0: Yeah, so this is important in the discussion because when Jesus is defining His family, clearly His disciples are not His mother and brothers, mm-hmm. uh, like physical mother and brothers. They are, they're outside. They're outside of the house. And yet Jesus is saying, this is my family. And He's giving us insight into who His family is. He's defining His family. And His family are those who do the will of His Heavenly Father. Therefore, somebody who is an infant... Who can't speak? Who can't talk? Who can't can't reason in the way that and a, a, somebody who's older can reason? And there are other discussions about how old is is acceptable. And Charles Spurgeon has a lot to say about that. Andy's been having me read this this book. I'm almost done with it uh, about preaching the gospel to children. But here it's those who do the will of His Father. That's His family. And so so there is when we read that there, that's one of the reasons we're bound to only accept into the family of God those who are doing the will of his heavenly father, because Jesus is saying this is who his family is. So it's an important thing. And so it, it's related here. Now, think about the household argument then. Presbyterians, in talking about their covenant theology and, and defining who is the people of God, uh, the, the answer to that question is going to be different for Presbyterians. It's believers and their children. Okay, But there is a breakdown in the household argument that we see, that I certainly see. And one of these examples we find in uh, Luke chapter 12, And here's what Jesus has to say about the household. Now think about this, because this could be um, the breakdown of a believer and a Jewish person in in a home together. But it could also be... just a believer and a Muslim in, in, in the household together. Or it could be a believer and a non-believer, just not, a non-practicing religious person, just one of the, the nuns or whatever, um, not realizing that there is no such thing as being an irreligious person. But that's a different discussion. Here's what Jesus says. Do, do, you, do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, rather division. From now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two, and two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, and son against father. Mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter, her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Now everybody kind of gets that last part and giggles about it, right? <laughs> Daughters-in-law and mothers-in-law. But like as I'm thinking through this, I'm thinking through, okay, in what way then is the household divided by Jesus? Because in the Presbyterian understanding, in, in a classic covenantal theology framework, a a believer in the home qualifies the rest of that household to be baptized to get the covenant sign so they go to acts and they they go to the new testament and say look at these five household baptisms but the breakdown here is is, for me is okay where's the example then of a non-believing member of a household being baptized because jesus said that he came to bring division to a household where there's going to be division there and discord are we to assume then that where there is division and discord where somebody's saying i don't want to be baptized i don't want to follow jesus I am a Jew, I am a Muslim, I am an, uh, uh, I follow Islam, therefore I'm not going to be baptized. According to classic covenantal theology, that would require that whole household to be baptized. So what is the theological principle that allows an unregenerate child to be baptized, but doesn't demand that the unbelieving Muslim person in that household is to be baptized? Where is that theological principle? So... Is, does that, uh, is that as convincing for you as it is? I mean, it's convincing for me, but you got any thoughts about that? You just throw it out there if you do.
1: Yeah, um, I, I just don't see it. I mm-hmm. don't see it from, from the scriptures. Um, that, that principle um, is not one that I see derived from the scriptures, I see it being sort of imposed on the scriptures right. from an outside world. From an outside um, construction.
0: Mm-hmm. Right. So, I mean, this, is, this would be where, where systematic theology can be so incredibly helpful. And covenant theology is so difficult. I mean, there are fractures and fissures between those who are in the 1689 federalism camp, and there's fractures and fissures between those who are uh, in the more covenantal, historical, Presbyterian covenantal uh, covenantalism camp. And a good example of that would be where Owen is a a Pado Baptist, and yet he has differing understandings of one covenant and two administrations of that covenant, uh, and so he has got there's there's differences. So covenant theology can be really really difficult. But when, when we're doing exegesis itself, like when we're actually saying what's derived from the passage, and this I realize is what all of us want to do. And again, where I want to be respectful to Presbyterian brothers and sisters, but this to me seems irreconcilable of 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 the whole household argument because Jesus is coming to bring division to families, and yet. What's said in Malachi is true, is that the the hearts of the fathers and sons are being turned together, turned back together. So there there are examples we have to take all these passages as a whole, but it can't mean, I don't think it can mean, then, that Jesus comes into the life of a husband, a Christian husband, and they've got several kids, and there are non-believers in the home, and uh, uh, none of the older non-believers are allowed to be baptized, but the baby is. Um... If you're going to use the household argument, just say the whole household's got to be baptized, mm-hmm. and I think there's a breakdown there because then you have what you're going to have Jewish Christ, Jewish people be baptized into the Christian church, like people who have rejected the Messiah. Uh, you're going to have Islamic people, or you're going to have atheistic people that are in a Christian house Christian household that are going to be baptized, and I think that household argument breaks down. And this is one of the passages where I see that there's a breakdown.
1: Yeah. Now there will be some who would be insistent that um, that there is a consistent application. Uh, of this principle, and that the that the wife uh, would be sanctified in, by the mm-hmm. belief of the husband and children, uh, likewise, likewise as well. Right, which and is First
0: Corinthians, like that's there's those passages are there. Yeah,
1: and although that's not the the majority view within the Pado-Baptist camp, there would be some who would insist on um, consistency there, um, almost out of, out of a reaction to um, this this. Uh, Accusation of being inconsistent, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, in in the New Testament passages where you have these um, household baptisms, um, you see the gospel is preached to the entire household, um, in instance, and they they receive. With joy, the the word that's preached to them and are, and are baptized. You see, there is not a single instance of these uh, household baptisms where it, it, it it's not explicit or can be inferred that the gospel is not received by the by the entire household who is who is being baptized. So, there is not an instance where an unbelieving um, member of a household is baptized, and that that cannot be proven from the scriptures. So, yeah, it seems like that the outside system like i said is is coloring how those those passages are being read because you can't infer it just by reading those yeah. passages.
0: Yeah, and i think i think with that, you know, in the argument about continuity discontinuity, of the covenants and how do we understand the old testament and the new testament and how they relate to one another, what has continued, what has discontinued. Um, one of the arguments that I hear is that the scriptures have to explicitly, yeah, there's no, there's not a single infant that's baptized in the New Testament, but also uh, there's never an explicit passage saying don't baptize an infant. And yet, I think there are passages that differentiate the household and say that there's a, a fundamental change of how we understand the household. There's a shadow household, mm-hmm. which is the family unit, and there is a greater household, which is the household of God. Yeah. And there's one that's superior to the other. There's, ones that, there, there's one that a believing person in a household is a part of and the unbelieving people in that household are not a part of. Mm -hmm. One has Christ as their head and the others don't have Christ as their head. And so we see those distinctions in the New Testament and we think they're pretty clear. And that's why we think that there is clear evidence as to why we don't baptized non-believers, or those who have had no repentance to faith, expressed no repentance to faith. And in fact, the same principle, again, you know, like if you're going to be consistent with covenant theology, and I think Doug Wilson and and folks that follow him are with pedal communion Mm -hmm. then why withhold communion from those that have been baptized? And what is, again, the theological principle that would withhold communion from one that has not expressed any not has has not received the word or appealed to God for a clean conscience in baptism, and yet uh, has been baptized. Why not receive them to the table? And so there's there's consistency and inconsistencies that we see there that uh, that we think can be answered in better ways. To say there there has to be repentance and faith. And one of the things that is important for us to address, uh, Baptists don't believe that the visible church is pure. Mm-hmm. There, there's a there's wheat and tares that go together.
1: Of right. So can we affirm that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. we don't um, we don't believe that um, that we can know for certain uh, in baptizing a person that they are a believer. We take their profession. As as their profession. Now, can they make a false profession? Absolutely. But we don't purposefully baptize people who don't either don't make a profession of faith, or make a um, a profession uh, of faith in any other you know religion in any other system. That would be like saying just because we can't know whether a person truly is regenerate or not, we should just baptize everybody in hopes that they mm-hmm. they should be right. repentance. And that's and that's. And that's not um, how we see the the New Covenant ordinance and and how it's given to us.
0: Because Presbyterians fully agree with us on people that are older. Absolutely. I mean, there's a full agreement, 100% agreement. Uh The the issue is then, well, then why are we going to do that with children? Yeah,
1: the the idea is that um, it's not that we are are, are just trying to make sure that um, people are getting baptized one way or the other, that um, they're going to be regenerate or not, and we don't have any say over that, so why don't we just do it? is not consistent with reading the the, the commands of the New Testament, um, repent and believe mm-hmm. um, and be baptized, uh, every one of you. Because every instance that we have uh, of baptism in, in the New Testament is is of, of repentance and faith. It's it, 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 it follows a repentance of sin and a confession of Jesus as Lord and is in itself a, a sort of profession. Um, so to say that just because we can't ensure that every... Person who has been baptized as a believer doesn't give us the um, the freedom to just say because we can't ensure that let's just throw the whole idea out the window and mm-hmm. baptize everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah, and you know in this passage in Acts it's pretty clear, and there's been argument back and forth about this from Presbyterians and Baptists for I mean hundreds of years, but in Acts chapter two, here's what it says: so those who received his word were baptized and they were added to, to uh, added that day about 3000 souls. Now earlier in the passage it says repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus in for, for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for he the promise is for you which would be the Holy Spirit is for you and for your children and all all who are far off everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And presbyterians want to say see and for your children and for your children and for your children. And here we want to say yes, and for your children, whom the Lord calls to Himself, yeah. And and that's the key thing here is that if, if you're going to be consistent about believing that there's covenant succession, then just go ahead and say that every single Christian is promised that every this is again if you're if you're a Presbyterian, say every single Christian is promised that every one of their children will be saved, and that is a a difficult thing to think through when you understand that there are me, I mean this was one of the issues with Puritanism in, in New England, is you didn't have a succession of believing children. You had what they called covenant children, but they were not believing children. And eventually what's, what's happened in our country is there's been a waning of Christianity. And that was seen very early on in, the Christi- in, in the, the, this, this experiment in America from these early English Puritans. And even in the Puritan family, you have generations that, you know, this is what, this is what uh, uh, Jonathan Edwards dealt with and his grandfather, uh, I forget his dot. Uh, oh gosh, what was his grandfather's name? That was uh, he took over for his grandfather in New Hampton. Oh, I'm not sure. Oh, Goodness, I just had Jordan was just reading this biography, but long story short, uh, the emphasis is receive the word. We're baptized. That's that's what is compelling to those who are on the Baptist side like ourselves, is that we see that and it's like, okay, so reception of the word is before being baptized. And what is baptism but a declaration, a demonstration of union with Christ. It's a demonstration, visibly, of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection and an individual being united to that life, death, and resurrection. We don't put non-repentant, non-believing adults there. And it's it's, it's our understanding that we are not to put unbelieving, unrepentant, Children or infants, there's what, or yeah. there either.
1: Um, I'm, uh, can I read a quote from that book that I'm having you read, uh, yes. Spurgeon? On, on uh, Spurgeon writes of this particular text. Stoddard. Um, Stoddard was his last name. I Stoddard. Okay. Yeah, was um, his last name. So, sorry. Well, Spurgeon wrote of this particular text, uh, but but it is written, saith one, that the promise is unto you and to your children. There never was a grosser piece of knavery committed under heaven than the, co- than the quotation of that text as it is usually quoted. I have heard it quoted many times to prove a doctrine which is very far removed from that which it clearly teaches. If you take one half of any sentence which a man utters and leave out the rest, you may make him say the opposite of what he means. What do you think that text really is? Uh, the promise is to you and to your children and to all that are afar off, even as many as the Lord our God shall call. This grandly wide statement is the argument on which is founded the exhortation, repent and be baptized every one of you. It is not a declaration of privilege special to anyone, but a presentation of grace as much to all that are as far off as to them and to their children. There is not a word in the New Testament to show that the benefits of divine grace are in any degree transmitted by natural descent. They come to as many as the Lord our God shall call, whether their parents are saints or sinners.
0: Yeah. Amen. Yes and amen. Which then, as many of the Lord our God calls, and then when they call, they do the will of their Heavenly Father, which is repent and believe. Exactly. And so then, boom, family. Family of God. That's who's in the family of God. Yeah. So, the next point of reasons why we're a Baptist, number three, why I am Baptist, is the book of Galatians as a whole. And this would be the natural conversation that, that Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, would connect the dots between circumcision and baptism. Now, if you're not familiar with the discussion, the entrance into the New Testament church is through repentance and faith, and then that's demonstrated visibly by baptism. And that's typically understood even according to London Baptist Confession and most historic Baptist confessions that is the visible entrance into the local church. So, into the visible church. And Presbyterians, in their covenantalism, see circumcision and baptism as a one-to-one, but it's a better one-to-one. For instance, circumcision was only for males. Baptism is both for males and females. So there's things that are better about baptism than circumcision, but there are things that are, there. there's a continuity there in their understanding of the covenant sign of being the people of God. And so they say Abraham Believed and his whole household was circumcised, whether there was faith or not. That's the argument. Therefore, uh, in the in the New Testament, the household principle continues, and the, whoever believes, then the whole household should be therefore baptized. However, when the discussion about circumcision is dusted up and the the fight is on in the New Testament, what's happening in these cities in the book in in the book of Galatia, uh, Galatia in the area and region of Galatia? You have these four or five cities that are together, and you you have these arguments over circumcision happening, and Paul does not say, hey guys, you've been baptized, okay? So there's the one-to-one. What does he do when he talks about circumcision? Well, it's important, and uh, Romans chapter 2 does this, talking about the circumcision of the heart, and and it's, an, it's a fulfillment of, even in the book of Deuteronomy, in this discussion about circumcise your hearts, and, the, and people can't do that. You cannot circumcise your heart. God has to do that. That's what it means to be born again. But here, in Galatians, in the book of Galatians, let me, let me turn there. It's always hard for me to turn as I talk, but... Walk and
1: chew bubble gum at the same time.
0: Yeah, I can't. I, for some reason I can't do that. Uh, and now I've got to actually look at the passage. It was in uh, chapter 5. Um, here's what he says. For through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything because you've been baptized. Okay, it doesn't say that. There's not this connection in the New Testament, in the book of Galatians, where he's like, hey guys, look. Baptism is just so much better than circumcision. What does he actually point to? Well, here's what he says. Circumcision nor uncircumcision matters for anything but only faith working through love. The issue with with what's going on in the cities of Galatia, in, in the New Testament church early on, was over the issue of faith. And so is, is faith enough? Can you be justified by faith in Christ or do we have to do these other things? And they don't say, no, you have to have faith and you also have to be baptized because that's the circumcision or any of this. It's, hey, listen, circumcision or uncircumcision. That's, that's a different category of conversation here. What, what I want to talk to you about, it's like Paul is saying this, is faith. I want you to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, and so in the natural place for this conversation to happen in the New Testament, in the Book of Galatians, it doesn't, and it has everything to do with faith about being circumcised of heart, about being born again, about being regenerated. And so one of the reasons I'm a Baptist is the Book of Galatians, the natural order of, of when this would come out, it doesn't come out. This, this is not a part of the discussion. Yeah. So
1: agreed. It's um, it's faith, and even later um, in Galatians, we see that uh, as many as were baptized in Christ have put on Christ, and that was yeah, yeah, yes. have
0: received. Um, Th- that's point six, a part yeah, of Galatians. So we'll yeah, we'll get ahead. in there. No, you ahead. Go ahead, no, bring that sorry. up. We'll no. stay in the Galatians theme. All right,
1: um, But I actually don't have it pulled up, so why don't you, okay. um, you continue do the next point. Okay. We'll get there.
0: Okay, well, that was we were going to stay in Galatians and just unfold that. Sure. But the whole point is, in the place that it was most natural, the discussion is about faith. And so when we think, who are the people of God... Well, it, the, the whole thing is, it's not who's been circumcised or not circumcised, therefore it's not in who's been baptized or not been baptized, mm-hmm. it's who has faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then, visibly, you can go to the to this, this ordinance, to this act that demonstrates this union with Christ between a person, an individual, a sinner, who has now become a saint in the Lord Jesus Christ, and now is... Showing everybody visibly, demonstrating that they are now united as a sinner and saint to the Lord Jesus Christ. What Christ did for that person is is demonstrated by them doing the will of the Heavenly Father. And so that's, I think, incredibly compelling. And here's the thing. I know that a lot of Presbyterian brothers and sisters are going to be like, yes, yes and amen to a lot of this stuff. And yet they're going to disagree on some of the things we've laid out before. But minimally, like, okay, Presbyterian folks... Um, certainly, you see where we're coming from, right? I mean, I see where you're coming from. I understand your position, and yet, for instance, the warning passages and the understanding of a mixed nature of the of the new covenant, and I understand that. And in, I just we see it differently. We we see, uh, weeds and tares. We see the visible church being mixed, but we see this aim. To be as pure as the elect people of god can be so we all agree that the true church is the elect people of god in the sense of the spiritual church okay that's the invisible church and we call it some different things but our aim is to make that church as pure as possible i want to do it the best i can to not let tares in with the wheat mm-hmm. and when we willingly give baptism and put somebody we know has not been born again yet. And like, ah, John the Baptist is converted in the womb. Okay, that, that we don't take that and make that a principle for everything. Just like there's so many things in the scriptures that, that have happened that we don't make, make that a principle for everything and everyone. What's demonstrated clearly to the best we can is we want to make the church as pure as possible based on the judgment that we're given through common grace, through the leading of the Holy Spirit. And one of the easiest ways to do that is only baptize those who have repentance and faith in a credible, you know, profession. Sure.
1: Last episode that we recorded together, we talked a little bit about the regulative principle and mm-hmm. how the scriptures regulate what we do on, uh, on Sunday mornings as we, as we gather. They regulate um, our not only our Sunday morning services, but also the ordinances. We have mm-hmm. we have tons of um, commands regarding the ordinances, uh, the the Lord's Supper, and 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 baptism, and and, and part of that is we in the same way that we come to the conclusion on Sunday morning that we um, our services are filled with certain types of activity. Only those which are given to us which are um, say prescribed for us in the scriptures that we do like, like singing and praying and, and preaching and all these things are prescriptive in the, uh, in the New Testament for us. And we see every uh, demonstration every descriptive thing we can draw inferences to. We never see a description of baptized, uh, baptizing unbelieving infants in the scriptures. Mm-hmm. And so in the very same way that we would we come to the conclusion with other aspects of our Sunday morning service, in the same way we're, we're wanting to be as faithful to how baptism is presented in the scriptures and to do that uh, as we see it is done in the Bible. And mm-hmm. like I said, in all these instances, repentance precedes baptism, repentance yeah. and faith in Christ. And baptism is a declaration of the faith of the individual who is being baptized. It is an appeal to God for a clean conscience. Mm-hmm. Um, so the uh, we're trying to be as as faithful with the regulative principle as we can by um, observing this ordinance as we see it described in the scriptures. Yeah. Um, so that, that's another approach that we would have to it.
0: Yeah. And in one sense, what we see even with covenant theology is that we're looking at the scriptures, and I was just reading the London Baptist Confession, and I got a little bit confused about this a while back, and thinking, because we preached through Romans chapter 11, and when you're thinking about covenant theology, it is just, like I said earlier in the show, it's very difficult. It's just a difficult thing to think through. And, uh, so, I w- But I was looking at um, the London Baptist Confession chapter 7, and it, what we see is that the, sh- the, the types and shadows, the pointers, don't define reality for us today in how we practice the Christian faith. Yes we get greater clarity as the new Testament and as revelation unfolds. And this is something all Christians agree on literally in every branch of, I mean, like all Protestants agree with this. In fact, I mean, Catholics would agree with this for yeah. goodness sake is that revelation unfolds and we get to learn more and more and more as God reveals more and more and more in his word. And so th- this is an example of that, of, of as we get the new Testament and as we get the words of Christ and as we understand now, what is household? What is a shadow? What is, what is a pointer? What is reality? These kinds of things uh, we want to try to divine the the pra- define the practice of the church as close to the most irrevel- amount of revelation as possible and everybody's going to agree on that but what we see is as we look at the scriptures backwards from the you know from the epistles to the gospels from the gospels to the old testament in this unfolding revelation mm-hmm. we see greater clarity of how we're to function and that's why we think the best of our best of our ability we don't want to intentionally fill the church with tares with those that we know are not yet born again. Mm-hmm. And so, are we going to mess up at times? It, can people experience, can unregenerate people experience the life of the church and even experience God's common grace in a unique way? Absolutely. But at some point as John says that they're going to go out from us and they were not of us. They mm-hmm. they were they were uh, enemies in our midst and experiencing the grace of God in a way that others other unregenerate people are not experiencing God's grace. Yeah. So, we're trying to be faithful, and, and these are the reasons we think they're compelling reasons. Yeah, um,
1: and it does seem that um, a lot of the ways that that we would that we would read the other um, the other parts of Scripture, it seems like uh, there's there's such unity among uh, Reformed Baptists and Presbyterians on um, that same reading of everything else. But it, it seems like there's a there's a backwards reading, um, right, with Presbyterians on this issue. And it seems like it's because of a, a commitment to tradition. And
0: yes, right. And like, so, okay, for instance, like, okay, how Abraham and his household, see, household. Yes, Christ and his household. Mm-hmm. Who is the head of the church? Who is the head of the household of God? Mm-hmm. So J- Jesus, at Abraham, is the shadow. He's the pointer to Jesus, who is the head of his household. Then who's in Jesus' household? Mm-hmm. Those who do the will of his heavenly father. And it's uh we think um, more consistent
1: yeah how we even understand offspring like in in the Isaiah passage he, um, out of the anguish of his soul he, he shall see and be satisfied um, the the offspring that comes from Christ are not f- you know physical lineage Christ Christ didn't have human you know physical uh, lineage he has uh, those who belong to the household of faith, those who've been grafted in um, we have that that those who have been born again those who have been um elected from from all time those who belong to christ um are 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 his and are his lineage not not physical descendants Mm -hmm. but um spiritual descendants
0: yes and we'll leave with this for baptists thinking about your children one of the compelling things about covenantalism in the Presbyterian sense is you love your kids, right? Mm-hmm. And you want to lay hold of as many promises that God gives us. And we should lay hold of every promise that we have in God's word for us. But we don't want to try to, to lay hold of promises that aren't necessarily given to us or give any sort of false hope to our children in any way. But we are all commanded to raise our children in the discipline and the instruction of the Lord. And so we're going to give them the law. We're going to give them the gospel. We're going to, teach them the precepts and principles of the Lord. And when the Holy Spirit comes to work, and I expect, as a Baptist, every one of my children to walk with the Lord. That's my, I I expect that. There's 7.5 billion people in the world. Mm. And the three children that are in our home, Lord willing more, have been given to us for a reason. And without sounding arrogant or prideful, um, it is God's grace that he put them and their souls in our home, yeah. it's God's grace that He put them in a community of people in our church that love Jesus, that are going to that are united together and helping each other raise them up the way God would have us. And we're going to expect that our children are going to become our brothers and sisters. Yeah, like that's that's the the chief end is we're praying them into by the grace of God the family of God.
1: There is tremendous anxiety as a parent in in thinking of our children. Did I? did I do everything right did I say everything right and the the impulse to say uh, as some have said we're we're going to heaven and you're and you're coming with me um, whether you like it or not um, is appealing because it it that's what we want we want to see our kids in heaven we want to see them love and know Jesus Christ but just their their physical birth does not secure that mm-hmm. and what what we just read in John that it is not um, by by blood nor the will of man nor the will of flesh. So I, no matter how much I long to say you are certainly coming with me to heaven and there's nothing you can do about it, I am not the one who draws. Yeah. I am not the one who gives people to the Son who he will never lose. That is not me. I have to trust that God is going to be God to my children the mm-hmm. same way that he was God to me, that he drew me. And yes, they have been given tremendous advantage, much like the Jews. They've been placed in a position where they have the oracles of God, mm-hmm. where they are, they are hearing. Uh, if faith comes by hearing and hearing the Word of God. They've been placed in a position where um, they will be hearing the Word of God on a daily basis. And when they rise up, when they, when they go on the way, when they lie down, all these things, they will be taught the Word of God. They'll have a tremendous advantage because faith comes by hearing. But at the same time, it is God who grants faith. It is God who grants repentance. And nothing I do as a father can secure that for my children. Yeah. I have to trust God to be God for my children, to save them as he saved me mm-hmm. and as he saved my parents and my siblings. Yeah. Um, and if one of my children goes astray, which would be the, the biggest heartbreak I could ever endure mm-hmm. as a person, that would be in spite of how we yeah. work, that will be in spite of right. the situation that they've been placed in. Um, it okay. is ultimately up to God mm-hmm. to save them, and not me. And yeah. I cannot, and I am not the Holy Spirit. I cannot cause them to be born again. But I will work yeah. all my might to see that they hear the word, that they see God, the examples in their life, that they are called to repentance. And I think that, unfortunately, with um, with some um, sects of pedo-baptists, there is such a de-emphasis on regeneration. There's yeah. such a de-emphasis right. on... All you can do is apostatize. Because if you already belong to God, if you're already counted as, as a person of God, then um, there is just apostasy. Mm-hmm. Um, but
0: Which, in their view, they could literally grow up in the church, be called a Christian their entire life, die in covenantalism, die as a Christian, and yet... Be in hell yeah. because they're only a Christian in the visible sense,
1: yeah. and 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 that to me um, is one of the ditches. Obviously, yeah. on that side, I would want to caution. Um, I love very dearly all my Presbyterian brothers and sisters. I would want to see a, a greater emphasis on on preaching repentance and faith to our children to um, to not. Have them see themselves merely as counted in the family of God just by birth, mm-hmm. but that they understand that the that the physical birth counts for nothing; it is new birth, mm-hmm. and that being born again, being regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, is um, is what we long to see in them, and not just merely belonging to the yeah. physical church.
0: That's good, guys. We've been talking about why we are Cradle Baptist at our local church, and. If you have any questions, please feel free to reach out. Thanks so much for watching, listening, however you're you're getting this into your ears. Uh, Andy, it's been a lot of fun, man. Yeah. I'm glad you came back on the show. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, guys, thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to the Shepherd's Crook podcast. If you have any more questions about the ministry, you can go to theshepherdscrook.co. Also, please consider leaving a rating or review on iTunes, and we hope you have a great rest of your day.